Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we seek to become like Jesus and live for others. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We're so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturdays at 5.30 p.m. and Sundays for one service at 10 a.m. Also, if you're looking for a place to celebrate Christmas, we welcome you to join us on December 24th for one of our Christmas Eve services at 11, 1, and 3 p.m. You can find more details about the day at waterstonechurch.org. We look forward to connecting with you. Good morning, Waterstone. Today, as we light the first of the Advent candles, we reflect on the mystery of the Incarnation. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus is God. He has always been God. There was never a time when he became God, for God is eternal. But God in all his deity became man in the person of Jesus, and yet did not give up any of his divine attributes. Jesus held all deity and all humanity. Today's scripture reading is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. So good to be with you. Uh, my name is Paul, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff. And I, I came in this morning, I was feeling really good about my message. I, I felt like it went well last night, which doesn't always happen, and uh, sat down this morning to, to pray over it and get ready. And then I just spilled coffee all over the front of my pants. And uh, so I felt a little self-conscious and just felt like I needed to say something in case you see like stains on, on my, my pants. But uh, um, that has nothing to do with the message today. I just uh, felt like I needed to get that insecurity out. Uh, but I'm really excited uh, for today and to continue this series, uh, The Face of God, as we are um, marching towards the Christmas event through Advent. Uh, we are looking at the face of God and what it means that God uh, came as one of us and that God has a face that we can see in the person of Jesus. Uh, this time of year, uh, every December, I make an annual trip uh, to the Christian bookstore Mardell's. Does anyone know anything about Mardell's? Okay, yeah, a few of you. If you don't know what Mardell's is, 
that's totally fine. Um, it's a Christian bookstore. Uh, and the reason I go to Mardell's is because when Steffi and I first started dating, the, the first Christmas gift I gave her was the little willow tree figurine. Uh, does anybody know what those are? Willow tree figurines? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, if you don't know, it really has no like important information for the story. But uh, the reason I need you to know that is I go to Mardell's because it's one of the only like brick and mortar stores that carries these little figurines. Uh, and so I go to Mardell's. And I need you to know that because I need you to know I don't go to, to Mardell's out of my own free will. Uh, I go there because I have to. And uh, if you've been to Mardell's, it, it, nothing against the store in particular, but I, I go to the store and I pick out this little like figurine that I'm going to get for Steffi for Christmas. Sorry, it's the same thing this year. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, after I pick it out, for some reason, every single year, I kind of meander through the bookshelves of Mardell's. And I don't know why I do it every year, because it, it makes me so, so sad every time I go through these stores. Because uh, when I look at the books on the shelves, it, it feels like this curated, packaged Christianity of these like smiling faces and perfect teeth. And it, it looks like Instagram models. And, and all of it's packaged in, in this idea of if you believe in Jesus and you pray to him and give him your life, then, then all of your problems will be solved. It's like this mass market, like paperback, inspirational, like, ugh, <laughs> that, that just kind of communicates this message. If, if you follow Jesus, all your problems will be solved. You don't have to worry about the harsh realities of the world. You, you don't have to deal with the darkness that we see in the world. You just kind of get this like free pass to the good life. It's this theology of blessing. And it makes me so, so sad because I don't know about you, but that's not the world that I live in. And so it feels like we're packaging Jesus and we're giving this message of what it means to follow Jesus. And, and if you have followed Jesus for any amount of time, and I'd like to see a, a show of hands, has Jesus taken away all of your problems? Like you've never had any more problems. There are no hands raised right now, right? And so we package this idea that if we follow Jesus, everything will be perfect and everything will, you'll have everything you want. And then what happens is reality sets in, life happens, we experience the darkness of this world, and suddenly it feels like the, the message that we've been sold is a lie. But the reality is that the problem is not with Jesus, it's the way that we've packaged him, which feels a little bit like Christmas to me. It's not necessarily that Christmas in and of itself is bad. I think it's wonderful. It's like one of my favorite times of the year. But, but sometimes it's the, the wrapping that Christmas comes in that doesn't quite work for me. I, I see it the most in the heartwarming advertising we see this time of year, right? Where it's like every advertisement has this message that if you buy the perfect gift, like for a price, you will get the happiness and joy and peace that you've been longing for. And for some reason, that happiness, joy, and peace always comes through the perfect gift of a car with a bow on top of it, right? And, and I looked it up this week because I was just curious. Did you know a new car, like a brand new car, is of March 2023 on Kelly Blue? book is 20 or sorry no 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 $48,000 for a new car that, that's so much money and I, I can't tell you that if I walked out of my house on Christmas morning and, and I had Steffi blindfolded and as I took the blindfold off she saw a $48,000 purchase sitting in our front lawn with a bow on top of it and I bought that without talking to her about it 
is not going to be a Merry Christmas in our household, right? Like it's not going to be. But that's the wrapping that Christmas comes in. If you just get the right stuff and and the right things and the right people around you and we wrap it up in this idea. And and it's not based in reality. It's all a fairy tale. And, And here's the truth. Christmas is so much more than a fairy tale. But, but for some reason, we wrap it in this nostalgia and this idea of, of all of the right stuff, all of the right people, and, and we'll find all of the peace and happiness and joy that we're looking for. And both Mardell's and Christmas at times cultivates this cynicism within me. Because I see that messaging and I think, yeah, that's, that's not the world that I live in. It's that space where I come up with a, yeah, but what about, right? Like, yeah, maybe that there's something good in that, but, but what about, and then I just fill in the blanks with all of the things that I see wrong in the world and within myself. I love the way that Fleming Rutledge talks about this dichotomy because what she says is that, that it's actually when we lean into the darkness that we see the beauty of the light of Christmas. This is what she says. Advent is a season that, when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us in all this world. Advent begins in the dark and moves towards the light, but the season should not move too quickly or too glibly, lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of the darkness. Advent bids us take a fearless inventory of the darkness, the darkness without and the darkness within. You see, as, as the church moves into a post-Christian world, we, we need stories that have more than sentiment or nostalgia or, or empty optimism. We need more than the smiling faces on the Mardell's bookshelves. We need a story grounded in our reality, a, a story that's strong enough to hold up under the weight of darkness. And so what I'd like to do today is look at the Christmas story from the Gospel of John and look at this theme of light and darkness. Because John's Gospel does not begin with a nativity or a manger scene. It doesn't begin with a star shining over a barn with a young family that that a baby's just been born. This is how John chooses to start his Gospel, his story of Christmas in John 1, 1 through 5. He, He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He he was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, John doesn't start out his gospel, he doesn't start out the story of Christmas with this kind of prepackaged idea that that everything's going to be okay and that if you just follow Jesus, then you don't have to worry about the harsh realities of the world. John starts out his gospel with the acknowledgement that light has come into the world in Jesus, but but there's a, a reason light has come into the world. That light is necessary because darkness exists. John starts with the basic assumption that there is a darkness in our world. And Fleming Rutledge, she calls this the darkness without. It's the darkness that we see all in the world around us. 
And in Scripture, biblically, the the theme of darkness, it represents sin and evil and brokenness and all of the destructive things that we see plaguing our world. Darkness stands for chaos with a capital C. In the randomness that we see in the world, the, the brokenness around us. And John just starts with a basic assumption that there is darkness in the world around us. In this cosmic darkness, John starts with the idea and the assumption that, that we don't live in a world of fairy tales, but of nightmares. That ours is a world where re- routine horrors take place. Where, where we are constantly faced with the horrors of our reality. Where we see stories of children who have been murdered. And darkness just confronts us to our face. And sometimes darkness exists in the places that we don't see, the the places that that aren't necessarily in the headlines. It it grabs our attention when we see stories of of things like children being murdered. We we know that darkness. But but sometimes darkness comes when we see, uh, when we don't see children who who, who maybe are are not uh, having the same privileges that you and I have, that, that they don't have access to the same things that we do. Darkness is all around us in our world. And if you spend 30 minutes walking up and down Colfax Avenue, you will be confronted with some of the worst darkness this world has to offer. You'll see signs of of darkness and prostitution and violence and addiction and houselessness. And, And it confronts us to our core. It's hard to miss when we go into some of those spaces, the the darkness in our world. But let's be honest, sometimes it's easy to live in denial about darkness. Sometimes it's, it's easy in our spaces to, to kind of insulate ourselves to the darkness in the world around us. I remember a few years ago when I had first started working at Waterstone, uh, Nick had this illustration where, where one night he, he went up onto the top of our church building and he was talking about this idea of darkness and light. And what he said is that when you look at urban centers, that's usually the place where you associate with darkness and, and kind of the dark seedy side of humanity, right? When you get into the city, that's where you see all of the darkness of humanity, But as he went up onto the top of our our roof of our church building, you look out at the city at night, and you can see the city is all lit up downtown. But as you get further and further away from the cities, you get closer to our church in the foothills, you realize that there is more and more darkness the further you get away from the city. We're just a little bit better about hiding it over here. It's maybe a little less confrontational. It's easier to hide darkness behind manicured lawns and tall fences. It's easier for us to maybe hide some of the darkness of of broken marriages or abusive households. It's easier for us to hide the darkness of over-programmed children who, who have emotionally distant parents. It's easier to hide our darkness behind garage doors where we don't have to know what's going on in each other's lives. Darkness is no less foreign to our community. It's just a little more hidden at times because that's what darkness does. It hides things and it makes things more difficult to see. You see, the the idea that John is getting at with this idea of darkness is that there is darkness that is prevalent and pervasive in our world. 
that, that, that there is darkness within our world that is tearing the fabric of creation apart. And it's pervasive that it tears apart our relationships, our friendships, our families. It's everywhere. But, but Fleming Rutledge and, and John would both agree that it's not just the darkness out there. There's also a darkness within. In fact, if you just flip the page in John's gospel to John 3, there's a story of a man named Nicodemus who under the cover of darkness comes to Jesus and begins to ask him about this ancient story between good and evil, light and dark. And this is how John summarizes the conversation. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. See, it's not just the darkness out there in the world. There's actually a darkness within each and every one of us. A darkness that's afraid to be exposed to the light. The, the darkness within us is, is the spaces where we see each and every one of us has a tendency to, to, to push back against the light. That sin can darken the mind and make it difficult for us to choose good in our lives. And in fact, some places in Scripture say that, that darkness is so pervasive within each and every one of us that there are times that it, it confuses us so much that, that we call what is dark light and what is light darkness. We, we flip the metaphor upside down because we're so enamored with the darkness. Each and every one of us embraces the darkness in lust and anger and envy and jealousy and apathy. And you may be sitting there and think, yeah, you know what? I, I'm actually not that bad of a person. I don't know that I'm a, a person that struggles with the darkness within. But what John says is that where you know darkness is is because it's afraid to be exposed of the light. And so I'm not here to argue with you and say, yeah, you're a terrible person and everything you do is awful. But have you asked yourself this question? Where in your life are you afraid of the light? Well, where within your life, as good of a person as you might be, where are you afraid of being exposed by the light? You see, I think it's fair to say that each and every one of us, we have things within us that, that we hope never come into the light. Each and every one of us has things in our story, things that we've done, things that have happened to us, things that, that we continually do again and again and again that, that we hope no one will ever know about. See, John says that's where the darkness lies. And the metaphor in Scripture for this darkness is that, that it, we are enslaved to that darkness. That despite our best efforts and how, however hard we might try, we are unable to escape the darkness within each and every one of us. The, the darkness that plagues us at the deepest parts of who we are. Light exposes the darkness. That's what John says. And, and I don't know about you, but if you have ever been in a place of absolute darkness and someone shines a light in your eyes, 
It's a painful experience, isn't it? And what John is saying is that that dragging things up from the deepest parts of who we are, bringing the darkness within into the light, it's a painful process. We resist that happening in our lives because we are enslaved to the darkness within us. So, So there's darkness out there, but there has to be an acknowledgement that there is a darkness within each and every one of us as well. But, but there's also a third type of darkness that I think sometimes happens in this conversation, and it, and it happens in this way. When, when we look at the darkness out there and we see the darkness within us, when we, we have the courage to look and actually acknowledge there are things within us that we are afraid to expose to the light, it, it can create a third kind of darkness, the darkness of doubt. The, the darkness where we begin to ask the question, if God is good, if Jesus is the light, if the light has come into the world, then why is there so much darkness in the world? Why does it always feel like darkness is winning? I read a story recently uh, that happened a few years ago in the city of Belgium. And uh, a few years ago, there was a, a person, a, a, a very perverted and demented man who, who was systematically kidnapping children and putting them in a dungeon and, and starving them to death. I mean, the worst kind of darkness imaginable. And the community uh, around this city, they, they begin just crying out and praying for these children and, and wanting to see them rescued. And at one of the funerals for, for a little girl who's a victim of this person, the, the, the priest is, is remembering all of the prayers, all of the vigils, all of the things that people did crying out to God to save these children. And with just like rage and violent shaking in his hand in in this funeral setting, he just said, is the good Lord deaf? Has he just not heard our cries? And that is the question of Advent. When we come to this time of year, the, the question we have is that if there is light in the world, if light has come, then why is there so much darkness? If God is good, then, then he must just be deaf. It's the question that we ask, is God there? Where is the light? Is God deaf to my cries? We ask this question in the emergency room or when we have to go to the divorce lawyer's office. We ask this question when we go back to the the, uh, next AA meeting. We ask this question in the middle of our finals exams. We ask this question in the middle of doing dishes when we just feel overwhelmed by life. We ask this question at the custody hearing. Where is God? Is God deaf? It's the darkness of doubt that we feel in the funeral where we just wonder where is God and why isn't he showing up? Where is God in the darkness? That is the question of Advent. You see, we need more than fairy tales and nostalgia and empty optimism to hold us when when the darkness feels like it's going to crush us. If you've ever been in that space where you were asking that question and and you're familiar with that longing, the, the, the promises of empty sentimentality around Christmas or that we find on the bookstores like Mardell's, they don't hold up under the weight. But that's why John says, light has come. 
He says this in John 1, 9, 11, true light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, what John says is despite the darkness, the story of Christmas, the story of Advent is that true light has come into the world. The promise of Advent is that God did not stay removed from us in the darkness. He did not abandon us to the darkness, but he stepped into the darkness as light to push back against the darkness. That as we've been stumbling around in the dark, looking for things that will solve the deepest longings of our heart, God stepped into human history and that light has come into the darkness, that, that light is shining into the world, that God stepped into the world plagued by tragedy and pandemics and, and the worst sorts of human atrocities. In fact, the story of Advent is that, that the very way in which God stepped into human history was in some of the darkest moments imaginable. A, a king, Herod, who was threatened by the promise of a, of a young baby who would become king, sends soldiers door to door, pulling infants from their mother's arms to try to eliminate the threat to his power. Jesus was born in the darkness but a light has come into the world. You see, the promise of Advent is that God did not stay removed, and and the the promise of Advent is the the answer to the question, where is God in the darkness? The promise is that he has come into the space of the darkness, of our doubts and our longing, and, and come to reconcile the darkness within and the darkness out there. That, that God did not stay removed from us. I love the way that Dorothy Sayers captures this idea. She says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and even death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and he died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. He thought it well worthwhile because it was through those means that Jesus brought the light that we have all been looking and longing for. See, where is God in the darkness? The the promise of Advent, the promise that light has come into the world means that God is with you in the emergency room in the divorce lawyer's office. It, It means that light is shining in the darkness in your finals exams and when you're overwhelmed with life and doing the dishes. It means that God has stepped into your story to shine a light on your darkest day. Light has come. We are not alone in the dark. 
But, but Jesus didn't simply come to sympathize with us in the dark. He, he came to push back against the darkness. In John 1.5, John tells us this, the, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, a light shining in the darkness means that Jesus came to, to end the cycle of evil and destruction and brokenness that plagues his creation. That, that, that Jesus came to push back and bring freedom and healing and hope. That his justice will prevail. You see, the, the, the promise of Advent is not some empty optimism. It's a promise that one day all things will be reconciled because a light has come to shine in the darkness. It's why at Advent we light the Christmas candles. Advent begins in the dark, but it moves towards the light, symbolically saying that light has come into the world. That the candle is the beacon of hope that we have, that the darkness we find ourselves in, that the darkness that plagues our world out there and within, that light has come to push back against the darkness. Larry said something to me this week as we were talking about this message that has just stuck with me and I haven't been able to let it go, but he says, light is always the aggressor. Always. Darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. And that when light shines, darkness has no choice but to recede. Darkness is not impenetrable. Darkness is always, always conquered by light. See, when John says that, that light has come and that it is shining in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it, he is saying that, that God has been on the move. And when we light the candles of Advent, what we're saying is, is that darkness is being put away. That as we walk closer and closer to the Christmas event, we are reminding ourselves of the story. That, that Christ has come a lot, uh, to our world to, to shine a light. And so that darkness will fade away. See, Christmas isn't tone deaf. When we truly understand and take a proper inventory of the darkness, it's not tone deaf to sing joy to the world. Because it's, it's the most ancient of stories. It is the promise that in the midst of darkness, light has come and is shining in the darkness and darkness will not overcome it. It, it is a promise that light is winning. Every time a lonely person is invited to a table to, to push back their loneliness, light is shining in the darkness. Every time a broken marriage is healed and restored, light is shining in the darkness. And, and light is also powerful enough to, to shine in the darkness of divorce and, and come in and bring healing and hope after a marriage has fallen apart. Light in darkness means that, that in our worst day, God is shining light to bring hope and healing to our world. And it's not just a metaphor. It's a promise that light will win. See, that's not sentiment or nostalgia or empty optimism. That, that's reality. That, that when we live in Jesus' story, light has come and is pushing back the darkness. Sure doesn't seem that way at times, though, does it? 
mean, in our day-to-day living, it often feels like, if we're honest with ourselves, that, that darkness is way more prevalent and that darkness is winning. It doesn't feel like darkness will not overcome the light. In fact, it feels like darkness is pretty effective to overcome the light some days. And as I've been thinking about this week, that, that, that's where the cynicism starts in my head. That's where the yeah, but what about comes in. Because yeah, maybe light shines in the darkness and, and some marriages are healed and restored, but what about the marriages where healing doesn't take place? Or yeah, maybe light shines in the darkness and some people are healed from cancer, but what about the people who have died from cancer? What do do we do with this tension where it seems like sometimes light shows up and it's glorious and it's miraculous and it's incredible, but what do we do when it feels like darkness is winning? You see, the the story of Advent is a story of, of a tension between two comings. It's the tension between light has come into the world and light will come. That there is still darkness in this world. And while there's a promise light will one day win, we still live in the tension of darkness today. You see, we live in the tension between joy to the world, the Lord has come. And come, Lord Jesus, come. That, that lament and prayer that things are still not as they should be and we need someone to come and set things right. And yet, as I've been thinking about it this week, it's so easy with this type of message to go to the place where, where this promise of light coming is just some future reality that we're destined for. That one day light will come, but until then we just have to like grit down and bear it as the darkness crushes us around us. That when we look at the world, there's nothing we can do. God is not at work and we're just stuck in the darkness. One day everything will be better, but right now we just have to shrug our shoulders and this is our plot in life. And I think especially in our circles, it's easy to have that cynicism. It's easy to say the yeah buts and and, and that's a future thing and not a current thing and it's not a present thing. But it is so important that you understand this. John says that a light was coming into the world. It's this very particular phrase, this very particular tense where he is saying, light has come and is coming and will continue to come. That it is not just some future reality that we have to look forward to, but that light has come now in our present. That light is available to us and that darkness does not have to overcome us now. Just uh, last week, I, uh, I finished this TV show that's about 10 years old. Uh, and I've actually been asked not to give you the name of the TV show, and I, I don't think it would be helpful to give you the name of the TV show because uh, it, it's about two detectives, and, and it is so crude, so vulgar, and so dark. I mean, it is just, I can't in good conscience as a pastor stand on stage and say, yeah, you should watch it. Um, 
which always feels a little hypocritical, and so I get that. Uh, but, but it has one of the most poetic endings to a TV show that I've ever seen. And, and as I was thinking through this message, it just felt so, so appropriate. And, and if you just heard me say, I'm going to give you the final scene to a TV show that came out 10 years ago and you're mad about spoilers, uh, just remember I told you you shouldn't watch it anyway. So you have nothing to be mad about, okay? It's all right. But, but in this show about two detectives, they, they, they are trying to solve a murder, the occultic murder. And it is, it is dark, it's gritty, it, it's vulgar, it's all of those things. And they're experiencing in this story some of the worst atrocities of humanity. And when it comes to the end of the show, it comes to the final scene, the, the two detectives, they, one of them's been in the hospital, and, and the other detective, uh, his name is Marty. He, he rolls out uh, on a wheelchair, this detective that's played by Matthew McConaughey. And as they come outside, and they're sitting outside, they're looking up at the stars, and they have this conversation. They've just been through, through some of the most dark and, and demented and, and horrific things imaginable. And this is the conversation they have as they walk outside and look at the stars. Matthew McConaughey's character, looking up at the stars and a cigarette hanging from his lips, he says this. I tell you, Marty, I've been up in that hospital room looking out those windows every night here just thinking it's just one story. The oldest. And his partner Marty says, what's that? Light versus dark. Well, it appears to me that dark has a lot more territory. And after a long pause, Russ says, you're looking at it wrong, that sky thing. You see, once there was only dark. And if you ask me, the light is winning. You see, once there was only darkness. And, and while at times it might look like the, the, the light is losing to the darkness. And, and now hear me, I, I, I understand the, the many complications of comparing Matthew McConaughey to the Apostle John. I get that, okay? We're on shaky ground right now. But it sounds so much like that ancient oldest story, light versus darkness. You see, what John is saying when he says light was coming into the world, light has come, and darkness will not overcome it. Yeah, it looks like darkness has a lot more territory, but once there was only darkness. And if you ask me, the light is winning. That is the hope that we have in Advent. And what if that promise that light is winning and darkness will not overcome it? What, what if that's not about just some ultimate reality that, that we hope to arrive at one day? But, but what if that's a promise for our everyday life now? That the darkness of sin does not have to win within your soul. That, that the darkness in the world is being pushed back by the light of Jesus Christ that darkness will not win because light has come, light is coming, and light will come again. As we come to the table today to communion, I'm gonna invite you into a space of, of reflection for a few moments. And I'm just gonna ask you to, to contemplate these two questions. I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit into this space. In your life,
Where are you seeing God in the dark? And in your life, where do you need the light? I'm gonna encourage you to take a moment and, and just pray through those ideas and this promise that light has come into the darkness and therefore the darkness will not overcome it. Where do you need to see that in your life today? That is the message and story of Advent and it's not based on nostalgia or sentiment. It's based on a promise of what Jesus has come to do in each and every one of our lives. Take a moment, pray, and then I will invite you to the table in just a moment. the good news of Advent is that that light is not just some far off distant reality we are waiting for, but that light has come into the world now. God, I pray for the cynicism within each and every one of our hearts that, that may answer that with a yeah, but what about? God, I pray that your spirit would meet us in the space of the darkness of doubt and shine a light on the ways that you are working in the world. God, as we come to the table today, we, we are reminded of the cost of what it took for you to bring the light to us. For, for light to pierce the darkness with the face of Jesus took everything. God, I pray that we would remember that story and hold on to hope in this season. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.